You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. This is the Jabberjaw Podcast Network. Visit JabberjawMedia.com for more shows like this one. Break it down, Dada. Break it down, oh, break it down. 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 Let's make cutter. Yeah. Guys, today's show is sponsored by Loot Crate. I'm glad to have them on as a sponsor very much. They send stuff to your house. Uh, mystery items, housewares, collectibles, basically, is what it is. Uh, it's a very cool thing. The last one I got, I really liked. I'll tell you more about it later, but I will tell you, you can go to lootcrate.com slash down, and you can enter the promo code down if you see anything there that you that you like. And again, I'll tell you a little bit about it later. Also, thank you to everybody who has bookmarked the Amazon link. That supports this show directly. Anything you buy on Amazon, if you go to my website, breakitdownpod.com, and then click the Amazon link, bookmark it, all the shopping you do there, I will receive a kickback from that. So please do that. I appreciate it. And then lastly, Thank you guys for all the kind words on the band breakdown episodes I've been doing. Seems like you really like them. I'm going to try to keep doing those, you know, once in a while here and make them really good. If you have a band that you'd like to be featured on that, then email me at breakitdownpod at gmail.com. All right, Downers, welcome to the show. My guest today is my good friend, Melanie Studley. Melanie is the wife of one of my best friends growing up that I've known my whole life, Seth Studley, who was the original drummer of Emory, moved to Seattle with us, eventually left the band, and now is a marriage and family therapist. And this is his wife, Melanie. Thanks for being on the show. You're welcome. Melanie's a really talented person. She's a singer, a musician. Um, they've got three kids. And Melanie recently has gotten into podcasting. She's a real artistic person, has a good sense of aesthetics. And so uh, I've been doing some podcast stuff with her and I've been training her as an audio engineer, which has been, which has been really fun. So Melanie and I are working together, and Seth, her husband, on a podcast called the Stronger Marriages Podcast, and that's from StrongerMarriages.com. We have a teaser episode up now, and then the podcast itself will be released in the new year here pretty shortly. So you could go right now, just to let you know, just so you could check it out. You can go to StrongerMarriages.com, go to the podcasts page there and uh you can listen to the preview of the first episode a little bit and uh subscribe to it and tell some people about it and we anticipate the release of that very soon melanie again yes. thanks for being on the show thank you for having me are you being are you comfortable on microphones now more yes. so than you used to be not without headphones i feel a little bit like uh i don't know myself without do, headphones do you are you you think you're more comfortable doing podcasting because you're already comfortable with microphones and singing and stuff like that. Does it translate much at all to you? Because for me, coming from music into podcasting, pretty natural. Yeah, I think that made a huge... I, I'm not uncomfortable with hearing my own voice, which yeah. a lot of people are. Right. So I think that for, had oh, a yeah. huge, you know... No, that's a big deal because, I mean, you, I mean, just even the way people use microphones is so goofy. Like somebody that's not comfortable around a mic, yeah. um, it's just like, a, it's something that you can't really overestimate the importance of like you can be a decent singer or whatever but if you don't know how to be comfortable on a, and talk into a microphone and project into one it's just totally goofy yeah well and the funny thing is when i was singing like at marcel when we i sang there mm -hmm. uh no one ever teaches you how to use a mic they just say do a sound check and you're like okay and so i would do these miserable sound checks because i had no idea what people wanted what mm -hmm. they were looking for what i was doing wrong and so i you know i'd sound check like this Hey, hey, hey. And then I'd get up and sing and I was super loud yeah. and they'd have to like mix it all. So it's unfortunate that there's not like a ton. Well, there probably is online now education of how to well, use Well, that's mic, not but, the problem there. Yeah. The problem with especially churches, as you mentioned, is, I mean, it's, it's a whole giant cast of volunteers and there's definitely some talented engineers and people that know what they're doing peppered in there, yeah. but they're... Uh, but not enough, certainly yeah. not enough. And most churches get into this loop where they overdo the technical and the gear and the microphone and the drum cage and all this stuff, but yet there's not enough actual uh, 
refined skill to run all those things. So it creates more problems than totally. than it really is. And that's pretty much the secret to not the secret, but the, the simplicity of audio is the more things that you add, the more problems you create. Yeah. So you so you're way better off to have a simple mic and learn how to use that well to record a band than you are to go into a giant studio with a million pieces of gear that you don't know how to do. Yeah. You, it'll come out better if you can't create if you, you limit yourself to not create problems that you don't know how to solve. Yeah, well, That's I, the worst thing you can do because yeah. it translates to unnatural. Yeah, I think in the church setting specifically or like live mm-hmm. playing, uh, there is such a disconnect between the sound, the sound people and the musicians. Mm-hmm. And there's no like there's no language barrier essentially. So you have musicians doing what they think works, what yeah. they do in their bedroom when they re- rehearse or yeah. whatever. And then the sound guys who are trying to make that sound work in the giant space. Mm-hmm. And there's no like, hey, just turn that down and I can turn the house up yeah. instead of you turn that up and then I have nowhere to, t- to take the house. So it's, it's interesting because I think there's just a big gap and um, it causes, yeah, it just causes tons of problems that you almost... Adding more makes more problems. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. uh, you know, so are you enjoying learning how, you know, microphone patterns and compression and EQ and stuff like that? I think that's been really neat that out of the blue, that's become like a sincere interest of yours. Yeah, that- I love it. So as a kid, um, I always was like, I would listen to musicals or music or whatever. I was always been really into music. But for example, I would listen to like Les Mis, the Broadway mm-hmm. soundtrack of Les Mis. Yeah. And I remember so specifically being like in love with the fact that um, different voices had like different, um, not just different audio qualities, but they would like, one would be nasally or one would be really throaty or one would have this overtone every time they hit a certain note. Mm-hmm. And I didn't realize that I was enjoying understanding and hearing the audio part of it not just the song or uh-huh. the lyrics or the melody but i was literally like it just like immersed in this oh the audio of it mm-hmm. and it wasn't until i started doing podcasting stuff that i realized oh this is the thing i love about yes. music and sound it's a different thing than performing yes. well that that's the thing about it is uh that's again speaks to that gap there is y- it doesn't do you any good to be super technical if you don't get the aesthetic part. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, or you're just one cog in a wheel. You can be an engineer, but even to be an engineer is really hard if you don't have a, a care and the ear for timbre and texture and tone or even pitch. I mean, yeah. you're not going to be a good engineer. You can't just go, oh, I'm tone deaf, so I'll be an engineer. Well, you're not going to be a good engineer yeah. either. So if you, the thing that you have is you already have all these categories and thoughts on the subject and now that you've become interested you're just a sponge you're like this empty bookshelf uh is the way i would describe it like a, a library with all this empty bookshelves or uh, and and now if somebody if you read something online or you overhear it or if i tell you something over the phone about how something works there's just a, a file cabinet or a bookshelf and you go oh great and you put that information in the spot where it goes yeah. that was just sitting there empty but you already had a frame for it. Yeah. So now you're absorbing it and retaining it. Mm-hmm. Whereas if you start, let's say, all the people out there that go to engineering school, they just go, well, teach me how engineering works and they're telling about consoles and all this stuff and they don't have any thing in there's no category for it so it mm-hmm. feels like you're learning biology or accounting or yeah. e- econ i mean it's just somebody's telling you about something that doesn't matter to you and you are not going to retain it yeah i loved so a good example of that actually was this uh weekend i was working on mixing a uh, show i'm working on the redemption walk podcast with mm-hmm. redemption groups and i was i'm starting to figure out eq better like i've i understood eq sort of but i really got into it this week and uh like just messing with all of the, and I'm like, oh, that's mm-hmm. what the sound. I've always wondered how they did that. That's how they're doing yes. it. And I love it that's because right. I'm not like following um, any instructions on how to do it. I talk to you about it, but then a lot of it is just getting into the program. Like I use a lot of it. Yeah. And just messing with it yeah. and be like, oh, if I do that, it sounds like you're underwater or you're on yeah. a telephone or. <laughs> You yep. couldn't learn that sitting in a class or even from a textbook. Like, yeah. oh, the bandwidth, which is also called the cue and what it means to be broad and narrow. If you learn that without context, it's just totally useless. Yeah. But if you, if I tell you to make a narrow bandwidth mm-hmm. and then a high spike and then sweep it yeah. across the frequency spectrum, now that I'm saying that to you, you know what that yeah, is. Yeah, I know. What, I'm and, hearing and, it. And you can hear it in it, your yeah. head, but it wouldn't have made any difference if you didn't have a, a category for it. Mm-hmm. And uh, that, I mean, just super weird that way that... that uh, 
I don't know. But it's it's fun seeing you seeing somebody get into something and learn it. It's really neat. Yeah, I love it. I really do. So how about your room that you're doing? You've been set, you've been challenges lately are the acoustics of the studio you're building at your house. It's so frustrating. I was like, okay, we did all this, you know, we play I I uh what's the word? I designed the studio uh, like literally I learned how to do a design program mm-hmm. on my own. I designed it in a 3D mock-up thing. We sent it to a guy, all this stuff. And I thought it's going to be so great once it's done. But we like it to be really sparse and minimal. So yeah. no sound, the sound is, it's just like this Echo-y vacuum and, yeah. of echo, not mm-hmm. vacuum. It's like a echo chamber. Yeah. And then to make it not sound like that, it's got to look stupid. And so yeah. it's so frustrating. Well, you can put pyramid foam up everywhere, but sure. and which some people like the look of, but it's pretty hokey. No. I mean, no real nice studio has that. It's really in the, in the you know, it's, it's, you have to do more subtle things to make it look good yeah. and sound good. Yeah. And I think we know, I mean, after talking with you about it, I think we know what we need to do. We're just not quite there yet, but it's like, ugh, I just wish it could be easier. But yeah. it, it, but it's super fascinating because after we, we bought a couch and put it in the corner. Did it help so a lot? A lot. Yeah, yeah. But the cool thing is now I sit at my desk and I go, weird the echo is different and i can tell how that thing behind me uh-huh. like 20 feet that way is making a difference and then i can and now i'm more aware and sort of tuned into what is the echo doing when something is moved in the room mm-hmm. how come the echo sounds different and even that is I are just you getting a conceptual grasp of the reflections like can you almost see you know like the way i describe it to you is that mm-hmm. it goes uh, if it's coming out of your speakers, first of all, you could almost, with a radius, draw the early reflection points. The first place that it comes out of the speakers, what's the first wall mm-hmm. or surface it could hit? Yeah. And that's the first place you can start to look at and treat yeah. or diffuse or absorb and stuff like that. But are you starting to get that picture of what d- the difference in reflection and diffusion is? And then the biggest thing in room design that is bad for everybody out there that doesn't understand, imagine you go in an apartment, a brand new apartment, and you talk or clap your hands and you hear that echo, but it's a really short echo with a bunch of stages like and it just makes you feel super nasty versus a really echoey place like an auditorium where it's a long, soft decay. Yeah. You hear the decay really because it's diffu—it's still very reflective in, yeah. in an auditorium, but it's uh, it diffuses evenly mm-hmm. because the the when you have parallel walls, especially the hard surfaces, the way the sound waves themselves are, are waves and they bounce off and come back in an even amount, and then thus they wind up canceling a bunch of the frequencies out. Yeah. So you're missing a ton, you know, and the, the the audio literally just cancels itself out like waves coming at each so other. Weird, and yeah. so you're missing a bunch of, it's really, yeah. really bad. So parallel surfaces are the worst and hard surfaces next. Yeah. And then, you know, how much absorption and the way you diffuse it is really- Which is, we have a 20 foot wall by eight mm-hmm. feet with nothing on it. And yeah. it's like, oh, I don't want to put anything on it, but- We'll get there. The other thing interesting here, and we can move off of engineering purely here in a, in a few minutes, but not that many women in, in audio engineering. No. <laughs> what, what do you think about that? And why is it's that? It's such a shame. I it's... mean, were you stopped from doing it? Did somebody say you can't do it or you're not encouraged or do women just not like that kind of stuff? I think it's just so, uh, like think about middle school when mm-hmm. you would most likely probably start thinking about these kinds of longer term things you might want to do. Mm-hmm. Is the engineering club geared towards girls Nothing, what, would be, you know? what would be geared they can join whatever they do whatever they can do yeah, the av club if they want to so sure that's what I'm, I'm asking from your experience what prevented you from being in like what would the well honestly, what would what would it take i won't i won't blame it on anything i think i so i can sing and it was just sort of naturally have that talent mm-hmm. i have not really cultivated it and so once people figured that out i was always in plays and musicals and so sort of I, I thought, oh, I love sound. I love that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So I'll sing. Singing is my thing, right? And so I thought that was what I loved for like a really long time because that's what I could do. Um, but I think if I wasn't a good singer, I might have done um, like audio. But what, what, why do you think in general there's so few? It's just a guy's thing. I mean, it's is, like, it, is it inherently a guy's thing or is it you believe it's coached or we need to empower women I mean, on it or a, what? I don't know that. I think it needs to have less of a gendered uh, nature about it just in the same way that like home ec is like a girl thing right mm-hmm. I mean did you did you do home ec or I mean did you no I mean I took it when it was required or whatever but yeah it's definitely a girl thing so it, are you saying that I didn't do I couldn't I didn't even feel free to admit that I would have liked it therefore I couldn't have ever given a chance because my friends would have teased me and probably. that's why I don't sew probably yeah 
Because you sew. Yeah. Which is a good parallel because sewing is very similar to something. It's an engineering type thing yeah. that women excel at. Yeah. That, so, it's very technical. And, uh, you know. My sister-in-law is an interior designer and mm-hmm. she took a woodworking class like as part of uh, her college requirement or something. And um, her teacher was like, oh, you must sew because you're really good with a jigsaw. And mm-hmm. she's like, I don't sew. And it, so it's weird because they immediately, like if a guy was good at a jigsaw, no one would be like, you must sew. Uh-huh. They'd just be like, you're a guy, yeah. you know? So it's a shame because there's all these weird, like very gendered things that we put onto people. And I do think like, uh, you know, the engineering club probably doesn't use glitter in its posters, <laughs> you know? And th- there's all these, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Like, is it going to change? You think? Oh, I'm, it is changing. I mean, there's all sorts of like coding. Is it, does for it need girls to be super proactive, or is it just going to happen naturally? I think it's happening naturally, and I'm glad. I don't want it to be proactive. I don't want it to be like, oh, well, because you're a girl now, mm-hmm. you should. That's dumb. That's like watering all of it down because mm-hmm. they can. We're equal. We can do the same stuff. And, I like to think that uh, that that my daughters could would are. Go, I mean, they're going to be different than the previous generation of girls, and they're going to be different because they're my daughters. But I don't feel like there's any barriers. I mean, they're going to like whatever they like, and I'm not worried about you know like. Well, I I mean, I think it's it's all really subtle now. I mm-hmm. think, of course, 50 years ago when people couldn't vote or whatever. I mean, I think they could vote 50 years ago, but uh, like all of it's all subtle now. There's mm-hmm. subtle things. There's weird things that being a man, you probably would never think of. Do you think there's some element of the the gender female that is less technical or or you don't? No, not at all. It's just a taught thing. It's a nature nurture thing. I mean, a two-year-old boy, a one-year-old boy likes trucks more than a one-year-old girl. No, it's 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 totally okay. Hattie, my daughter has Legos. They're all pink. Mm-hmm. They have cats and carrots and lettuce in them. My boys' Legos are like guns and wolves. With I mean, teeth. I've given Georgia so many boy toys, and she just thinks the, the pink stuff is better. Well, I don't. I think and, think about every cartoon she's ever watched. The Little Mermaid. She can watch whatever cartoon she wants. I mean, she <laughs> gravitates towards the girl. Ones. I mean, I, I think there is something to that. I've not but, coached her in that realm. I don't believe at all. But, in fact, I've given her a bunch of guns and knives that, that stab and I stuff. And she doesn't. I mean, she likes them a little bit, but not as much. <laughs> I think if there was a like, think about it. Let's pretend that there was a Disney movie with a girl, sort mm-hmm. of like Brave, but Brave, I think, was a little whatever. But, like, if it had just this hyper-technically-minded girl, mm-hmm. but she had long hair, and she liked glitter yeah. or whatever. I mean, I think we, as a society and animators, could create something that would speak to all of those parts and not just yep. some of them. Well, you know what's hard about that is... It, that's that proactive stuff. It's fine. And Georgia has these engineering books for girls or whatever, yeah. but it's for girls. So it feels like weird. Yeah. But the reason you can't depict that in art and entertainment as good is because when you're making the art and entertainment, it has to kind of be reflective of archetypes and things that exist in culture or else it doesn't really stick. Yeah. You know, so you have to, to do that proactively in a movie. You'd have to kind of be forcing it a little bit because yeah. if you look at, if there's a, a farmer or a hunter in a, in a Disney movie, they're going to be the stereotype. Yeah. And that's what's going to make it work. Yeah. Which is true. weird. So is it possible for the art to cause, you know, per, to, if they say art mim- imitates life or life imitates art, you know, I guess it gets back to that thing. Like, could you put it, put it enough in to entertainment and art that it would become normal in culture? Is that possible to do? Interesting question, at least. Well, we were just talking about this the other day. How about, um, I was talking about how in our generation, when we were kids, the boys in TV shows were always really masculine, sort of dopey, mm-hmm. like boys, right? They yep. played baseball, their hats right. were on backwards, <laughs> things yeah. like that. And uh, the girls were always really like ponytail, big hair, whatever. But in the last couple of years, the boys in like Disney tween shows mm-hmm. are much more effeminate than they were when we were kids. Interesting. And so our my, our, my own kids, my boys, are much more effeminate. And, and it sort of caught... Seth and I a little bit, we were like, oh, that's not what we expected. But then we looked at the shows they watch and I'm like, of course they're going to be like that. The shows that they watch have yeah. boys that are like that. So in a, in a way, I think that is what's happening is the, the, the um, culture of the TV culture and movie culture is informing how, what is socially acceptable to kids. And so well, if that's we like, like the worst nightmare of a lot of Southern conservatives to think is, that liberal right? Hollywood is making your kids gay. Right? <laughs> <laughs> It's, that's what the, that's what they yeah, think. <laughs> yeah, I mean it is. That's what it is. Well, okay. So here's what is here's what's real interesting to me is uh, podcasting is something that people talk to me about 
all day, every day. Like I like it, I do it, I'm out there, and people for some reason, or for some reason, want to talk to me about it and ask me questions. So I'm take phone calls all day, every day. I get messages online all the time about it, and everybody wants to know how to do it. And it feels similar to music. It's like what amp do you need? What? And it's like, well, I don't know if any of this stuff matters. Um, everybody wants to get into podcasting, but very few people want to do what I think is the hard work. A and then two have the. Uh, there is a talent part of it, which I don't. I think you could even develop the talent. I'm not saying it's innate or born, yeah. um, but very few people want to take the skill part, the skill development part, very seriously. But you have an interesting combination of all of those things, and I really identify the the. I don't know how to to say it other than to call it a feminine quality or a sensitivity or a aesthetic thing, like to how to the same way you would. And it sounds like gender stereotype stuff, but the same way you would design a room or have attention to detail or the way that you would, my wife would load the dishwasher in a really way that it doesn't matter because you're, all you're doing is washing the dishes, but it kind of does matter somehow. The, the tension you do in the podcast we're working on, the Stronger Marriages podcast, is, you know, I have a lot of people that want to work with me and for me and stuff like this, but you're the one that I keep telling like, she's got it. This is going to work, you know. Melanie knows what she's doing to the point where when I'm working on other stuff, I'm always asking you, like, is this right? How does this feel? Yeah. How does this come across? What's missing from this? Mm-hmm. You're a voice that I, that because I don't have anybody else that I really can ask those questions to. So I see you as a peer or an equal um, or more talented than me in some areas that I'm naturally weak. So I, of course I can sit here and talk and do conversation, whatever, but the Stronger Marriages podcast is a synthesized thing where we have to put tape in and music fades in and it's delicate. And so your point of view on it, I, maybe, I hope that's not insulting to say that it's feminine or whatever, but nonetheless, that's what identifies your skill and talent. And it's big in podcasting, mm-hmm. especially where podcasting's probably heading, which is less and less the thing of, oh, I bet people would like it if they hear me and my friends yeah. talk. <laughs> yeah. You know, because well, it's me or whatever. That, yeah. that mentality is a little bit weak sometimes. Yeah. Well, and I think that podcasts are notoriously like just white men. So it's really? A, yeah, there's a huge, think about a, every podcast mm, you listen to. Mm-hmm. Men. Oh, there's some of those NPR ones, those girl stuff, right? Some of the lady stuff. <laughs> talking about periods and stuff. <laughs> <laughs> no, but yeah, there, I mean, there are the, the 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 there's definitely some different stuff out there, but you feel like it's a white man medium. I'm not trying to make this gender political. I'm no, just no, I, no. I'm just trying to get a grip intellectually on what I think is good that you're doing and how interesting it is. Mm-hmm. And so the, the gender thing comes up. Um, to, I just think it's like a balancing thing because I think if you've got a bunch of dudes calling you mm-hmm. saying I want to make a podcast right. I want to help you with your podcast there, I mean and I'm not nothing wrong with dudes but you need to have a balance of like because when I listen when I help you on shows and do consulting work or whatever uh-huh. I, I hear what as a guy you're probably not hearing in the communication sense mm-hmm. but at the same time you will hear or see things in the podcast that I don't see or hear because you're a guy right. so I think it's just a that's why I think women and men should be in everything. It yeah. shouldn't be. Yeah, and this it's more than just that. There's lots of things that people are across a spectrum on of sensitive or whatever. Like for instance, Toby's a big feeler person and I'm analytical and that's complimentary yeah. too. Yeah, so yeah. It's, there's a bunch of different ways where you should be collaborating with people who have complimentary skills. Yeah. That would be the important part. But most people look at podcasting with the, the things that I can't stand, which is, but it's me. So people will like it, right? Yeah. That one is bad because you're never going to learn your skill if you think the it's about just that it's you because mm-hmm. I'm cool or I'm funny or I have a big following or whatever. Yeah. Um, and then the other one is the thing that people miss with music, which is well, it's just mainly a question of getting the technical stuff right and then I'll be fine, which again lean, leans away from the actual art and the skill part of it, yeah. which is yeah. it's in the taste and, and the high level decision making. Yeah. Is, is, even in real, if you're doing an improvised thing like this, it's decision making every word you say and it's important. And, and if you're, if you're, or if you're synthesizing a podcast or writing or editing or composing, arranging a song, man, that's just extremely critical decision making. It's not just expressive like yeah. it's me so there you go yeah although think, some people can get away with that yeah if they I, just have it but i think the the biggest mistake or it's not even necessarily a mistake but it's the thing that people aren't willing to do is edit themselves to, to literally yeah. listen maybe not even edit but critique and well, that, refine that's, right it's the same thing it's all the same category yeah that's because right. i think of like with my own children they we buy packs of 
clear, like not clear, white printer paper, mm-hmm. right? 500 sheets. They draw on every single one of those sheets and they want to hang every thing they draw on the fridge. Mm-hmm. But I'm like, hang the good one on the fridge, right? Don't hang everything on the fridge. And with podcasting and the unbelievable amount to let our ability to post anything Mm -hmm. all the time from your phone, put it on your YouTube channel. Even if it's crap, just post it. That's annoying. We're in a, like an overabundance of just information constantly Mm -hmm. with everything. And the the quality should be getting higher all the time. But when people post everything and they don't, they don't think about, Oh, this is even worth posting. Well, you know why? Because it's kind of painful to like cr- really critique hard. yourself. Like yeah. everybody wants to be the snowflake that's talented and their mommy told them yeah. or whatever. Yeah. So, but, and you don't want to be overcritical, for instance, of people or your kids, but yeah. that's the self to critique yourself or edit yourself is, can be painful because you have to yeah. face it and you have to realize it, what yeah. it is. And then you have to get it right and then ship it out for other people and then let them, you know, yeah, yeah. I critique think that, it. And so you yeah. that doing that self, self-reflection is not a human quality that mm. a lot of people possess. Yeah. It's more like fantasy land is usually better for people than the yeah. reality of, wow, I got a long way to go. Yeah. But that's the only way you get anywhere. I think. Yeah, when I listened back to like my first podcast and it Mm -hmm. was like four minutes long it was terrible it was so bad but i mean i did it i i and i used it as like okay this is not good i'm going to hold this up to what the standard i want it to be at and then i got to figure out what are the little that's what's missing from songwriters yeah everybody is missing that just because you can do it doesn't mean that it's the quality it should or could be Mm -hmm. or you know and there's a, a term that i heard about the idea of respecting other people's time. Uh-huh. And it's like, you put out crappy content, you're disrespecting That's their right. time. Yeah. And so I think the the more we focus on, especially if it's a podcast, like bullet what you're going to talk about, script it out, um, do all the, and edit, revise, have people listen to it, go back and fix it. And I remember at the beginning when you were doing it, I like you were doing that to me. Yeah. And I was so mm-hmm. annoyed. I was like, it's fine. But I did it. I spent 20 hours and I have a 15 minute piece yeah. here. Yeah. How can somebody say something bad about it? It's yeah. good. I spent all the time to get it here, and now you're going to say something negative about it? I was very, yeah. I remember yeah. feeling like super yeah. pissed off and being like, why does Matt <laughs> think this is bad? It's good. It has all the fades. It's got the music. Yeah. And you're like, That's I right. just don't think it hits the right thing. And I'm like, oh, and at first I really fought it. Yeah. Um, but now it's. Well, that's the hump though. Like, uh, here's the thing I tell people when they're making a podcast, I say, make a pilot, I'll call it. And they'll say episode one. I say, call it a pilot. <laughs> this might not be episode one. <laughs> and it's not usually episode one. It no. usually isn't. And so I I know right away if somebody's willing to throw away episode one or, you know, I was like, oh, this is a good sign. This person is, you know, possibly, you know, moldable or, or, or you know, yeah. they have that quality. Yeah. And a lot of people go, yeah, no, but I already did this. So yeah. like- I'm going to put this out. And I'm like, well, but you'll save yourself a lot in the long run and you'll be setting yourself on the right path. Yeah. If you can throw that one away, don't worry about it. You can make a million more. Yeah. And when you get to episode 10, you're going to be like, oh, wow. Now I really know some stuff. And then if you're smart, you'll look at episode 10 and you'll go, wait a minute episode 110 how good am i gonna be yeah you know and that's the way to, that's the way to look at yeah. stuff it's like a short game versus a long yeah. game like you really if you're if you're so worried and i mean i can say this totally from experience like being so frustrated at you that you didn't like certain things or wanted me to change whole segments that took me forever to make mm-hmm. um and I, that immediate feeling of like he thinks it's bad i'm not good at this or mm-hmm. whatever and then being like no if I do this, if I do what he's saying and I rethink it, I'll probably learn something and get better. And sure enough, it, it's what happens. So, Well, that's very, very nice. I'm glad you stick with it there. Let me uh, do something else here. Let me, let me give a quick word of love to a sponsor that I have, a great sponsor that I like called Loot Crate. So, you know, I got a Loot Crate sent to my house the other day and me and my three and a half year old daughter, my wife, we all opened it up. And we just looked inside and essentially there was a ton of stuff in there that we all wanted and we all split it up. So I got, for instance, a Mr. Robot Black t-shirt. I like that show. I like that series. The t-shirt was in my size. That's why I got it, not my daughter. Sorry to her. My wife got a, a piece of memorabilia from the show Firefly, which she really likes. It's a show she's super into and something came for that. And then there was a, uh, now my daughter isn't into Assassin's Creed. She doesn't know what it is, but there was a, a toy figure 
from that. And as soon as she saw it, it had cute little eyes. It was like a little cute figure. And she loved it. She grabbed it. She went and she put it on her room on a shelf. And there was other stuff in there too. Some really, really cool stuff in that one. Um, so if you're on a quest for epic gear, housewares, or collectibles, Loot Crate brings you between four and six of the coolest curated mystery items every month straight to your doorstep. It's the best surprise that you know is coming. So the next crate's theme coming up here in January is Origins. And they've got some awesome and exclusive items you know, from your old school favorites. So this January, you can see where it all started and explore the iconic origins with historic items from Superman, Captain America, Mario, and the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, including, as always, their monthly t-shirt and pin. Now you have until the 19th at 9 p.m. Pacific to subscribe to get this crate before the time runs out. When the cutoff happens, that's it. You can't get that crate anymore. That's 9 p.m. on the 19th. So make sure you head to lootcrate.com forward slash down and enter my promo code down. So enter the promo code down for $3 off any subscription. Let's, uh, let's talk about your marriage, your personal life, and how it fed into this whole how this all came about that we'd be doing a podcast about marriage and why they fail and yeah. succeed. Right. Well, yeah. So I think for, so we've been married, Seth and I've been married for 12 and a half years. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I think it was like four years into our marriage. We were, um, I had just given birth to our second son. Our first son was only a year old. Mm-hmm. They're only 15 months apart. And, uh, Seth sort of confessed this, terribly heartbreaking thing to me. Um, I won't give it away because when people listen to the podcast, um, but in that process of him confessing, uh, I was totally crushed because Seth is a marriage and family therapist. When he confessed this, he had just finished his master's in marriage and family therapy. I mean, anybody can figure out that you're, you're, it sounds like you're probably saying he cheated on you or something like that. Something. Basically. I mean, it's something. Well, you could say what it is. I'm just saying, so it's something like porn or cheating yes. or anything, that it's kind of thing. Whatever lying. it was, it was crushing to you. Yeah. And, yeah. It, and on a lot of levels, we had been in church counseling mm-hmm. and he was in the marriage and family therapy program. Um, we had community groups and blah, 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 all this stuff that we had like in place, right? And so we went through that season of our marriage and it was terrible. And I thought, for sure, we are getting divorced. Like, there's no way we're not. I hate this person. I thought the same thing. Yeah, I, <laughs> I mean, your marriage was a disaster from, really, from any outside. Po- I mean, it was apparent from an outside point of view that, well, it was it was kind of apparent to us, the guys in the band, that before y'all got married, that it wasn't a good idea. <laughs> That's what I heard you say. Yeah. It's, yeah I mean, um, it was really crazy. And so after, you know, a few years after we got over the hardest parts, um, I, we kind of started looking back at like, what, how, how did we not get divorced? What changed? What happened? And then well, really, give us a, just one more d- detail or two of like, how bad did it get? Well, know. at one point, uh, so I was at home with the kids. Cause we had Seth on the bad Christian podcast yeah. way back. And he, he t- told a bunch of the story of the, the, the yeah. dark time or whatever, but a lot of people may probably haven't heard oh, that. Okay. Yeah. So, um, like I was a stay at home mom and mm-hmm. he was working, but he was working a lot. Like, just a ton, a ton. And so I would be home all the time with the kids by myself. And one day I was just, I was really depressed mm-hmm. um, from this. I had, I was like postpartum depression. I had just had a baby and then Seth confessed and all these sort of terrible things happened at once. And um, at one point I had literally taken every single possession of his, all of his shirts, socks, shoes, anything that was his tools and threw them into the one room. I don't know why. I don't know what it, why I felt I needed to do that. Like, just like in a fit of like, I hate you to Uh everything of his like broke picture frames. Just like that was what, what I could do. Right. Crazy. It was crazy. It was really crazy. Uh, there was another time where we got into a fight and I left the house at like midnight and just like drove to a tattoo parlor and like sat in the thing and was like, I'm going to need a tattoo. I don't even fucking care. And I'm like, (laughs) what am I doing? And then I just like went home (laughs) and I was like, I don't, I really don't know. I was in, I literally was insane and I took antidepressants and they made me like way worse. So I stopped. Um, but yeah, so we just have these really crazy chapters of our marriage where mostly I did really insane things. Um, and then, but then the, how it turned into the podcast was I wanted to, I wanted to rehash like all these things, you know, being a few years removed from that really intense time. Mm-hmm. I felt like we were, surviving but not really thriving which sounds really hokey but i was like i want to talk about this crap Mm -hmm. when we're not upset at each other we're not fighting and i just want to talk about it but i want to record it 
So we sat in our car, we drove up to a, a concert and it was like terrible, terrible traffic. And we recorded like two hours worth of just like, remember that time when I punched you in the face? And what did that feel like? Don't and, skip over that. But you I mean, you, you mean that literally. You, yeah. You, I mean, that is that domestic abuse. That is domestic but violence. But you, domestic violence yeah. to your husband. And I used, yeah. I, like I would claw him, like mm-hmm. literally, but it's really weird because I would like not remember that I had done it. I Oof, remember one scary. time. It is because one time I asked him, what is, what are those marks on your leg? And he goes, they're from you. God. And I was like, I just wanted to like die. It was terrible. Um, and so, yeah, so we started, and this was long before a podcast idea was even in our mind. You were just we, recording yourself for self-analysis, even. Y- yes. Just like as we were talking about before, really. Yeah. I mean, that's a, that, qu- that quality of being able to face the reality. Yeah. Like you, Just like you said, people don't like to even hear their own voice on a recording. Yeah. If, I, if, you, if you record my mom talking and play it back for her, she'll run to the other room. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so it, I mean, it was really insane. And then on top of that, we also recorded arguments which was is so Ugh. so hard to do because yeah, you have to be like that. hold on let me get the phone i'm going to put it on record it's terrible but but it's so it's so, so eye opening because you go i don't make sense when i talk to my husband but i think i make sense and so i'm totally being terrible to him but I think it makes sense in my head when I'm mad and then I listen back to it and I'm like, oh, this crap. is awful. Yeah, you sound like a bad person on a reality show. I am right? a bad yeah. person on yeah. a reality show. Like, ugh. But yeah, so that's how it all started. And then uh, I think I just had the idea, like I wanted to turn it into a podcast somehow and it was going to be called like Married to Therapy because I'm married to a therapist. And mm-hmm. then we we were going to ask you if we could use an Emery song. So Seth called you and was mm-hmm. like, hey, Matt, blah, blah, blah. Can we use an Emery song? And you're like, what, what are you doing? And well, let me give people the aside on that one is whenever <laughs> people call me all the time that I know that do whatever creative stuff and they ask me, can I use an Emory song? And I'm always like, yeah. And then I'm like, well, hang on a second. We don't own most of those. So I guess no, or yeah. it doesn't, doesn't matter what I say. Yeah. But if I, I tell people, yeah, you can use this song. And then they put it on YouTube and it gets pulled because somebody else owns the uh. Emory catalog. So I'm like, sorry, I can't help you. So no, you can't use the Emory song unless it's from our last record. <laughs> That's funny. But yeah, so that... That was how we got connected with you and doing the Stronger Marriages mm-hmm. stuff, which was, it's just all crazy. Yeah. So Stronger Marriages came to me and said, we would like to develop a podcast and you'd be a good person to do it. Uh, and so I've been talking to them for a while and trying to come up with a good concept and idea. And of course I knew you guys and, and knew you were doing some podcasty stuff. And then you were doing this self analysis of your own marriage, which I found really compelling as a concept. And so I was like, okay, let's just work this out. Let's, let's get you guys to be the talent and I'll produce and help with the podcast. And I think this could really be something. So it's really an, uh, based on your story and then getting parallel stories and topics from other people and marriages and comparing and contrasting. So it's like the concept is it's not a cheesy thing of how five ways to improve your marriage or whatever. It's not that it's a, uh, this is a, on the darker side. We say it's darker than that. I mean, <laughs> it's, uh, it's more authentic. Yeah. That? Well, it's yeah. like, a, I mean, it's really exploring what, what's the reality is in marriages and why they fail because I've, I find, or why they succeed and fail, I guess. But I find that the problem is uh, for a lot of stuff we do and why podcasting is such a good medium is because you can really hear what people really think and what they really feel like in a less than polished presentation. Mm-hmm. So why not embrace that? Uh, the main thing is when people hear other stories of, oh, somebody mentally ill or depressed or uh, abused or have a bad marriage, you always go, oh, I don't feel so crazy after all. Yeah. And when you hear the polished talk from the, the best pastor in the world telling you or counselor the self-help things, it's like, yeah, because I'm down here and I can't really figure it out and I'm the one that needs help and yeah. there, there's other people that know the good stuff. And to me, it, that's basically backwards. Yeah. Like if you start with, trust me, these people are pretty messed up too. Yeah. Everybody is, oh, and then maybe I don't feel so bad and maybe I can, maybe we can move forward. Yeah. Maybe it, I can need to get a little bit better and then a little bit better. Maybe there's hope for us. Yeah. So I always like to hear darker, more realistic stories about life. It makes me feel better and not in the way that, 
ooh, I feel better about myself because their life sucks. It's like, oh, the stuff that sucks about my life is more normal than I thought. Yeah, I think it's the opposite of like, uh, you know, like Mark Driscoll did the real marriage or Mm -hmm. whatever. And I remember when we were at the church and he was doing that and it was like, take your wife out every Friday and go on a date night. It's like, what if you hate your husband? And every Friday you go on a date night and you're like, I would rather be anywhere yeah. else than here. Like, and that happened. I mean, we had little kids and I would just, we would be like fuming, hating each other on date night. Yeah. And so this is the opposite of that. This is like, uh, re and, and we interview other couples. We yeah. interview professionals. We inter- not just marriage professionals either. We right. interviewed a neurobiologist, um, a sex therapist, a ton of people. And, yeah. um, and the way that I'm looking at it is like, if I could have heard stories from other people, like what when mm-hmm. I was going through everything really hard with Seth, and I say I, but we were really both going through it, mm-hmm. but I would have loved to have heard someone else be like, oh, I totally did all of that stuff and I'm not divorced. Yes. And this is how I dealt with right. it. And this is these are the things that were super hard, but this was the one thing that was good and easy and how I, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. Like, And the way that I'm viewing it also is like, it. there is not marriages are all different people are all different and what works for you and Bridget is not going to work for me and Seth and so why not give all of the tools to everybody I like that. so that they can choose the ones that work for them yeah not just here's the five things that blah like that doesn't work when you legitimately hate your spouse for a time <laughs> like, yeah at all yeah it doesn't cure domestic violence <laughs> shut <laughs> up that <laughs> <laughs> I was sorry well do you think it's like um do you think it's like addiction a little bit though? Like you, you have to be, there's still a rock bottom element to it that you you have to be willing to want to do work on yourself though. I think so, but I think it's just it's it's like um, what's the best example I can think of is when you get uh, like a wild like a wolf or something and it has no training, but it's like. 10 years old or five years old. Uh So it's an adult wolf. Uh How are you going to train it to do something? It's not going to want to do anything that you want to teach it. But if you taught it these things when it was a puppy, it would be fine at like fetching and Uh whatever wolves or dogs do. But so as children, we don't learn these skills and we try to learn them as adults when we realize we needed to have what type of skills we're talking about any interpersonal things like I mean a huge one for me is like representational differences like I legitimately think my idea is better than most everybody else's Mm -hmm. so my husband and I deal with this all the time where I'm like no do it my way because it makes more sense and I cannot put myself in his head and have and be like because he inevitably thinks it makes more sense to him yeah his idea is the one that makes more sense yeah his version makes sense and mine version my version makes sense to me but i didn't learn i was the baby i always got my way and i and i always was like yay Mm -hmm. everyone loves what i'm doing uh so i didn't have that skill and so as an adult it was really hard it is still very hard to be like i suck at that what do I do to get better at that? Mm-hmm. Ugh, I have to not tell my opinion to everyone all the time. That's the first step. Ugh. You know, it's a lot of like, don't do what you immediately want to do, which is very hard. <laughs> yeah, for sure. So, and I mean, so you even bring up stuff like sibling position being a, yeah. a big factor. Yes. You, know, you have to explore that. So you're the baby of the family. So you, and then your husband is the oldest sibling in his so in some yeah. way that's a good thing right like that yeah. matches up a little bit that's a common match a marital mm-hmm. match and it's nice because he's like the protector of his younger siblings and i'm a younger sibling so i feel like he fills that role for me um yeah we we talk about lots of things communication different communication styles we talk about domestic violence we talk about what else do we talk about we talk about sex we talk about um Addiction and abuse is in there. Yeah, we talk about Mm -hmm. family of origin. Because that that kind of stuff, the stuff that's already happened before you get married, if you do any investigation like we have, and and a lot of people know this more now than they ever have before, but it's not the default starting point. Most people think in their marriage, they say, oh, we have these problems here. But most problems that there are in marriage were already baked in. Oh, yeah. Long before the, you met your husband. Yeah. The, the problems that you were going to have marriage, you were probably going to have regardless, regardless of who you married. Yeah. Yeah. You and know, we even talk based about- Based on trauma or what, just yeah. you know, everything from your whole background. Yeah. We also do cultural differences mm-hmm. because Seth is from the South and I'm from Seattle. And so it's there's huge cultural things that um, have been a conflict. They still are. Mm-hmm. Like it's we're still literally working things out after 12 and a half years, which is annoying. But um, 
Yeah. So there, we're, we're trying to examine marriage from all these different aspects because all of these things affect marriage, but everyone is just blaming their spouse, which is ridiculous. And that's what I did forever. It's well, just yeah. Seth's fault. Everything's his fault that I'm so crazy and, and he hates me or my family. So that's why, blah, you know, so. Are you still crazy? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> You just, I'm just a little less crazy. <laughs> well, if you can be aware of it, I mean, I, I guess that's the thing. I mean, cra- I mean, crazy is a probably a pejorative term in, yes. in general, but f- just even if you want to use it generically, I don't think crazy people are often aware of their craziness. Is probably the the actual main problem. Like, I'm if you responsibly knew, you know, crazy now. Yeah, I was irresponsibly or crazy. Yeah. irresponsibly crazy before. Yeah. And, but I mean, I have all Just the- to get that, from, I mean, that's what's interesting. Like you listen to these other people's stories, you record your own, you think about it and it just gives you enough to step to the side just a little bit to look at it. And yeah. that's almost enough to give you an edge to to make improvements versus just sl- slide down the spiral. Yeah. Just just that self-reflexive element to identify yourself as crazy. Yeah. You know, you, I mean, I don't know if you actually have any diagnosable mental illness or not you may but um <laughs> there's some in my family so yeah, that, it wouldn't but, be a surprising right. but even that thing's a spec i mean everybody thinks their wife's crazy i'm certain mine is you know she is i've met yeah. her <laughs> <laughs> so, but but just to just to be able to to examine and compare and have enough data on other people to be able to recognize yourself as a even a type or or or, or an entity that you i mean you're not an animal you know you're not a you know, not an animal. So you have consciousness and cognitive ability to step out of yourself. Yeah. And if you're not yeah. using that, you know, then it's hard to train yourself to do. But yeah, I guess that, that's probably what we're trying to yeah, get to. Yeah, it's more about an aware. It's like an awareness tool, mm-hmm. essentially. And I think I was talking to my neighbor. She is a medical doctor. And we were talking about the sort of primitive brain, primitive brain and the more, what's the word? Like your upper brain is your... Isn't that, well, your 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 prefrontal like your prefrontal yeah, cortex, it, but then you're like the whole what is it? You have your brain stem thing, it goes in your hand, and this is like your primitive brain, and this is your amygdala, uh, and so all of your like higher functioning stuff mm-hmm. is up on the front and on the top, right? Yeah. And I think in marriage and in relationships, we don't think of ourselves as, ha- as having two brains mm-hmm. when we really do. Oh yeah, and right. so if I, if Seth does something that makes me feel attacked or weird mm-hmm. i just i click right into that primitive brain and yes. i go well i'm well, gonna do and, this. well yeah so the, you'd say that's maybe like the lower brain people call it yeah. the reptile brain which yes. would include the amygdala and yeah. other deeper systems but that's you're right a lot of people would describe the brain as it's built you have the primal brain the mm-hmm. er, that earlier creatures had and then we have more scaffolding on top of it yeah. we don't get a new brain we have a, i like we to have think a, we have two brains well the, yeah <laughs> but there's just it's just continually built out yeah. so it's all patched together and interfaced mm-hmm. like the the same, we have a lot in common with an alligator mm-hmm. brain-wise at some point, and then we have a bunch more stuff also, but yeah. they interface. Yeah. So you can be triggered. But, but they sometimes don't. If you don't yeah. let them interface, they won't. If you flip your lid, which but, is... Right. They have different pathways, and they and it, it shuts per, certain parts down when other parts take over, mm-hmm. stuff like that. So if you're emotionally charged or angry or feel threatened, you're not going to be that analytical. You're yeah. less analytical, essentially. Yeah. because And th- that part of the brain takes more resources, and, it's, and it actually operates slower. Yeah. So, for instance, um, they say, you know, when you step over a log and you see a stick and you think it might be a snake mm-hmm. or if somebody, the other one that's weird is when somebody jumps out and scares you mm-hmm. and you react to it yeah. and you say to yourself, I knew you were going to do that. You feel like you knew you were going to do that, but you couldn't help yeah. but you know, make all that yeah. emotional reaction you have. Like you saw the stick. Basically what happens is you step over the log, you see the stick, the lower part of your brain even knows that yeah. and, and it's, it's faster processing. It's like a half of a, it's two nanoseconds yeah. that it goes straight to your motor skills and tells you jump, yeah. react. Yeah. But it didn't have time to go, hmm, is that a snake? Does it have scales? Is it a poisonous snake? Does it have fangs? Or maybe is that just a stick? Yeah. That part goes slower. So by the time that signal has reached your motor function and already has you moving, you're then you're figuring out that it's not actually a snake, mm-hmm. but you can't, it's already too late. Mm-hmm. You've already jumped and reacted yeah. by the time the pro, the other processing, which is, slower takes more resources yeah. to do yeah it's, it's interesting because i think we we aren't taught that we have these two different functioning sections of our mm-hmm. minds and our brains and i think it would be hugely beneficial if we would be taught those things because um my neighbor was saying what fires together wires together so the things that you feed in your brain when mm-hmm. you have these like synapses and stuff is if every time my husband comes in and says something to me if i go oh you're such a jerk every single time 
that is going to wire to get that is like what my brain's going to want to do mm-hmm. every time. And but if I can stop myself for like point one of a second and go, wait, is he really a jerk? I'm going to put this into the upper brain. Yeah. I'm going to put it not into my reptile mode mm-hmm. and I can see. No, he just communicates differently than I do. And I can receive that differently. I can understand it differently. And that's, I think, so fascinating to me is that we we just don't learn those things as Mm -hmm. kids. And I think in this this, uh, podcast, we're exploring these ideas in a new and different way and how it applies to marriage and all relationships. I mean, this applies to like how you treat your kids. Yeah. And uh, just get out of the reptile brain. Yeah, no, I mean brain. it's not all just even about that, but just the just the notion of of taking an analytical approach to marriage is so goofy because it's such a it's so strong and personal. Like you just feel like, well, this is me, this is my marriage. Yeah. But there's probably, you know, analytical ways of looking. It's just not natural for people it's to be amazing analytical to analyze yeah. your marriage. So Seth and I even fight about this because I was trying to analytically. Okay, here's a good example. Mm-hmm. He was talking, I, I, we had a conversation. It was kind of an argument like two nights ago. And I said, look, when you say you want the house to be like modern and clean and empty and feel really like a hotel, do you really want that? Do you really want that? Because if you want that, you wouldn't put your shoes on the kitchen counter, right? Mm-hmm. Which he does sometimes. Idiot. Idiot. But he's like, you know what? I don't, I actually just like that idea. Yeah. And I'm just sharing that idea with you. And him just saying that to me was like, Oh my gosh, he actually doesn't mean kind of the thing that he says he means. He doesn't really mean That was it. just so, a way of him sharing something that he felt. Yeah. And so then I can look mm-hmm. at it more analytically and be like, wait, 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 wait. Seth likes the idea of that, but he doesn't necessarily want to implement that. And that's mm-hmm. okay. And now I know. Mm-hmm. Now I have like a skill, a different skill and understanding of him. It's kind of interesting because you're just hitting some point in your life where you've been all a complete feeler for your whole life, and yes. now you're just beco- are you? I mean, are you becoming an analytical person and I doing engineering? So. <laughs> and you know, I mean, that's weird. It is very weird because I mean, like from an artistic person and a youngest child and a singer that just didn't work out, and it's just this is what I do. I perform. Yeah, uh, I feel things and I, I just act out of that, yeah. and it work. It's worked like it, you know. It's a, those things are strengths you have. That's why you identify so strongly as yeah. them. So, but most people don't change though. So, yeah. but it, but can you become analytical? Uh, that's the thing that's really weird. I so, mean, I know I'm analytical. After but. talking to when I interviewed Science Mike because he's on mm-hmm. the show, um, it was really cool because I said to him, "Oh, I like talking to smart people like you about marriage because blah blah blah." And he kind of laid into me. He was like, you are smart. You are smart in a different way than I am smart. And blah. And he got kind of mad at me because mm-hmm. he was like, don't downplay wh- you know, all yep. these things. And it really made me realize that I have just been doing what I'm naturally gifted at, right. but excluding the things I think that I am not gifted at. So math, mm-hmm. anything science really, oh, I'm not good at those things. So mm-hmm. I'm not going to do them. But then at some point I was like, am I really not good at those things? Or is it right. just that I thought, it, or that someone teased Dude. me about it when I was in seventh grade, or, or they're or they're not for girls or something? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 That is totally true. That and I think that, like for instance, your whole personality, anybody's entire personality, is simply the set of things of tools that work the best for them. Yeah. Like if I like to get pity, so I do this and I'm like oh, yeah. that, or I like to be dominant because then I don't have to deal with vulnerability, or yeah. or what? I mean, those are just things that. You know, you have just some tiny amount of, well, that kind of worked. And so you do it again and again, thus neglecting the other things that didn't work or were scarier. Yeah. And so that's all you know. And then you get hyper good at these certain things that seem to work, even if they're not the best ideas in the world. Yeah. They're, at some point, they become your only tool. Yeah. Like you don't, you know, you don't have the other the other one. So yeah. if you get high on feeling and projecting and being expressive, you tend to squash or and then somebody says, oh, be analytical now. Well, that's going to be painful and less effective. Yeah. Well, I think the only reason that I even tried to change and not, and not that it was like this really conscious thing, but it was actually a conversation that we had when you were at our house one time and I was talking about singing that I wanted to sing with something like I always did with you. Matt, have me on and I'll sing on an album mm-hmm. or whatever. And, uh, I realized, I'm like, you know what? I'm not a star. That's not what I enjoy. I don't like being on the stage. I don't like being the only person, the whatever. I like to do things with people. And you Mm -hmm. said very specifically, you are a collaborator. And it immediately went, 
He's right. I like to collaborate with people. And I had never known, I had never known or thought that because I had always been in the spotlight. You're you're gonna sing this song, you're gonna be the star yeah. in this play. Right. And so in my mind, I was like, wait, I've never done that. That takes a whole another skill set. Yeah. It's um, hard to yeah. It's totally different. And so that was really the the process of this the first step of the process of like, I need to change how I think about myself. Mm-hmm. And what I'm capable of, and I I love challenging it. It's yeah. it's exciting. It's uncomfortable a lot of times, but it's very exciting. Yeah, so. I mean, it's just like it, it's just like uh, I never was a singer, and then I didn't sing, and I was in Emory for ten years, and said, "Well, Devin and Toby are good singers. I don't sing." Yeah. And then at some point, I've, I was a, a better and better musician, and around better and better singers. So at, certainly, me singing was so far from a thing that could even ever be done yeah. because I was around better people and I was doing it not at all, even though I could have sang when I was a kid a little bit yeah. or whatever. Um, but it was just a wasted opportunity. All I had to do was sing with them for 10 years on stage on a few parts and I would have been way better. Yeah. So then at 33 years old, I said, you know what? Fuck it, I'm gonna learn to sing. I don't care. I, there's gotta be a way to figure it out. Yeah. And it's never gonna be natural. I never was natural. I'm not that good. I'm not good. I'll never be great at it, but I I made myself learn it in an analytical way and do it poorly for, I said, I'm going to do it for a year. I'm going to practice every day for a year and do a class or whatever I got to do. Yeah. I've got to figure this out. And then I can do it a little bit now. So, yeah. I mean, it's more like, you know, I can sing like Tim Tebow can play football, but, you know, not not really going to ever make it. But yeah. um, I learned to do it. I made myself do it. So I don't. I just don't accept that that anybody says, oh, I'm not that way. I don't like that. And you say, yeah. I am this, I'm not this. Yeah. And that's his case it's closed. A, that's n- almost never true. Yeah, it's a limiting, it's a limiting mindset. Yeah. And like, and I think after talking to Dr. Dan Siegel, who's a neurobiologist who I just have a major nerd crush on. Uh, and he talked about that idea of like, we limit ourselves enormously. Mm-hmm. And, and it probably starts when other people do it for, because as the youngest child, um, and, and I was always, you know, I was always performing and acting and what doing all that kind of thing, all those kinds of things. People would project onto me, you're a star. Yeah. You're going to do this. Mm-hmm. You need to make an album. You need to whatever. And so I have this weird pressure of like, I do have this skill. I should make an album. They're right. And so I had this like weird... Mm-hmm. Um, it's, your con- it's a construct. Your personality is the tools you know and what other people yeah. identify about you. That turns into your personality yeah, if you so, don't take control of it or do other stuff. Yeah, you know? and it was really conflicting because I would get mad at Seth because I'm like, you know all these musicians and you're not helping me achieve my thing because I'm supposed to be a musician. I'm supposed to whatever. But I didn't even want to be one. Mm-hmm. I didn't like to be on the stage by myself. I don't like to. Um, I'm not good at that. I'm not a great speaker. I'm, You know, I just don't. It doesn't give me like thrills to Mm -hmm. do those things i can but i don't love it Um, that's cool to to realize yeah and so once i realized that and then and then paired it with the understanding of a limiting belief or a growth mindset and how i can change yeah it just takes like changing it's uncomfortable but yeah but it's exciting too i mean it really is exciting i never in a million years thought i would know how to do a podcast EQ. EQ. <laughs> yeah i mean something that i i mean i literally like yesterday was ru- like putting my cables away in my office in my home studio that right. we built that's full of sound equipment yeah. and i'm like who am i yeah this is nothing i ever thought i would do especially even a year ago well i, I think it's exciting I, I enjoy working with you and it's it's uh it's, it's good and i'm I, I mean i just feel like okay this has been a year that you've been on this i mean yeah. think about five years ten I years it's exciting but um let's wrap up but the podcast is called Stronger Marriages Podcast. Uh, go to strongermarriages.com slash podcast, right? Yeah, is that where we're, I think. I'm pretty sure that's it. <laughs> Either, you know, go to strongermarriages.com podcast, listen to episode zero. It's a preview and I'm asking everybody to do me a personal favor. We're going to try and make this a really good show. I think it's a really great show and it's going to be uh, good for the folks at Stronger Marriages. So thank you to them very much. Yes. Subscribe to it play that episode um, and we'll have the the season's going to start here very soon. We'll have 12 episodes in a a put together season. I'm very excited about it. Yeah, and share the episode with your friends because if people want to be married, they are married. I mean, this is, it's an all relationship, helps all relationships. Yeah, Yeah, it gives a lot of insight to just being a part of a family, which everybody is. We interview kids in it too. I mean, it's Mm -hmm. not just married couples, lots of stuff. Yeah, absolutely. Melanie, thank you very much. Thank you. All right, see y'all. You've been listening to the Jabberjaw Podcast Network, jabberjawmedia.com.
That's what ransomware is all about. It's psychological pressure. Ransomware, when your computer's hacked into and your data held ransom. Attacks are on the rise and Russian gangs are making billions of dollars. The moment I got that message, I knew our greatest fears that we ever have are starting to come through. The post-Cold War era is over. Dot com, the hacking. A new season from Crowd Network with me, Katie Puckrick. Just search for dot com, that's D-O-T-C-O-M, and subscribe. This is Krista Makes, guitarist and vocalist for Less Than Jake, and host of Krista Makes a Podcast, a songwriting podcast where every week I'm joined by an amazing guest to break down the writing, recording, and release of one iconic song from their career. In our giant evergreen back catalog of episodes, we've had rock legends such as Dee Snyder and Huey Lewis, punk rock favorites like Mark Hoppus, Fat Mike, and Brett Gurowitz, and up-and-coming artists of today, such as Liz Stokes of The Beths and Genesis Owusu. We've had guests from all genres and styles of music, and I guarantee that if you peruse our back catalog, you'll see several episodes that'll make you say, man, I gotta hear that. Whether you're a fan of music or a creator of music yourself, you'll take away a whole new appreciation for the songs you know and love. Chris Makes a Podcast is available for free on all the places you could possibly listen to podcasts. And new episodes come out every Monday.